This is the True North Collective podcast, a gathering of unsugarcoated conversations on wellness, created by the real-life documentation of everyday humans fearlessly finding their true north. Welcome to season three of the podcast. Hi, I'm Rachel, and I can be obsessed with jigsaw puzzles from time to time, but not all the time. The first concert I went to was Ricky Martin in the nosebleeds, and I'm pretty sure I invented the double man bun. Hi, I'm Courtney. I have three too many liberal arts degrees. I'm making my very last student loan payment tomorrow after $40,000 of student loan payments. And I don't know how to burp. Hi, I'm Janelle. I'm a plant killer. I have raptor claws on my feet. And I find people that love the movie Elf offensive. And we are your host of the True North Collective podcast. We're going to jump into part two of our conversation with Courtney Nicolet. If you haven't had a chance to listen to part one yet, make sure to check that out and then jump in for part two. I'm just, um, I don't know, I guess I'm processing a little bit because, you know, growing up, I would say my perspective even from this conversation is shifting a little bit. I definitely would have been somebody who was like, I went to college and I learned to memorize and was it worth it? I don't, I don't know if I went back to school, I'd do it totally different and I would do a different subject and all this stuff. But as I'm hearing you talk about your experience getting into college and kind of the conversations that didn't exist that got you into positions that, um, you kind of had to, un, you know, sort through and navigate later on. I guess I definitely was raised with the sentiment of like, you're going to college. Like that wasn't like an option not to, at least that's what I would have said. Um, and so I went there, but I, how do I explain this? It's like, it almost feels like I am, I went to college to learn how to get a job. I didn't go there because I had to, even though I did. I went there because I was supposed to, but I also went there because I wanted to learn how to get a job in the world. And I, I, I mean, I did. I was able to get a great job out of college. Um, and I, but I wasn't there just... I guess I'm realizing today that I didn't just go there and memorize. I actually went there as a preparation for a job that I did end up getting and that there was a lot that my parents actually instilled in me that until now at 36, um, (laughs) sadly, I think that if we would have had this conversation in my late twenties, I probably would have been like, Oh, my parents were really traditional and they forced me to, you know, take this traditional path because da, 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 da. And I might not have done that. And really, I think that the way I was raised, it, instilled an understanding of like I understood the debt that I was taking on and I understood what it was going to take to get out of that and I I you know they didn't they didn't like have all the money to get me through stuff but you know I had to figure out my 
lows and celebrate my highs and figure out budgeting and, you know, but there was like a baseline conversation that existed in my family um, that I guess I'm realizing from this conversation that I didn't realize people don't have. I didn't realize people don't have, I don't even know if that makes sense, but I didn't realize that not everybody is raised with, it was just like an innate understanding. Even if I didn't know the, how to do it yet, I understood like the basics and that has served me really, really well. And so I guess I'm having a moment of gratitude um, and humility and appreciation for I can't believe I'm getting emotional, but for the fact that as annoying and as annoyed as I was for my parents being like, you got to get A's and you got to da 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 like the conversations that I was in as a result of that really did set me up. And ultimately, you know, I chose not to go to grad school, which they wanted me to, um, but for similar reasons to what you're, you guys are saying around, like maybe I would have gone to a tech school. I knew that I learned, I knew that I had learned what I could from institutions to get my foot in the door and that it was time for me to get experience because I'm an experiential learner. And I've known that I always, I I think in the back, I would like to go back to to college, but I don't want to go back yet. Um, My brother ended up going to grad school Um, But I knew it wasn't for me. And at the time, explaining that to my parents was not the easiest conversation because they did want me to just continue to pursue my education. Um, And ultimately, they trusted me. And so I feel like I've kind of experienced both. Um, But I have like an overwhelming sense of gratitude right now for for the experience that I did have, even though I think up until literally right now, I would have poo pooed. <laughs> I would have poo pooed the what the the quote unquote pressure that they put on me to you know do X Y Z. But um, oh, my heart is just like beating so hard. <laughs> I it's crazy. I guess it's like I'm realizing that your perspective on your situation always has an opportunity to shift. Um, as you grow and as you learn more. And um, I think that's kind of what you were saying to court, just about like, you know, it's not that you regret your education because it got you to where you are right now. And the more you give yourself the space to unpack the experiences that you've had, instead of just becoming a victim to it, but really understanding it from a new, new, in a new way, as you learn more, um, there's a lot more depth to all of it. And it isn't as as black and white as it can seem on the surface. So I'm having like an existential moment. <laughs> so, yeah. I loved that. And I feel like I have so many questions and so many comments. And I don't want to, I want the gratitude to stick, but I just have a follow-up question. Yeah, ask do it. You, do you think that if there's an expectation from parents that you are going to go to school and if they place that much value on it that by the time you enter college that they should have a fully funded tuition fund for you if that's mm. an expectation that you shouldn't have to take on debt to follow a path that they're basically placing you on I mean I'm fully responsible so I 
again, I think younger me would have said, hell yeah, like if you're going to force me to do this, then you got to fucking pay for it. And I'm sitting here now saying I'm a fully functioning human. And at 19, if I felt like that was not my path, I was in full responsibility to be able to say no. And that's what I did going into grad school, whether or not I had you know, the wherewithal to be able to have that conversation, um, you know, that's a different conversation, you know, that's different. But um, again, I don't think it's as black and white as that. Um, Mm -hmm. And I don't think that my parents would have like, if I said to them, like, this just doesn't feel right. I really like, again, at the time, I probably would have been like, they, they're, you know, they're trying to force their ideals on me, but now far removed from it, I know that they would have supported me. And I guess that's the other part that's got me choked up is that for a very long time, I don't know if I really gave them credit for that. Um, Cause I can see now very clearly that if I had been adamant about that's not my path, they would have supported me. And that's actually pretty cool. Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of that pressure, it's not just from your parents. It's just that's what everyone else is doing, too. And when you're that young, you're just a lot of times it's easier just to go with what everyone else is doing and what your school counselors are telling you to do. And your friends are taking the ACTs or the SATs and your parents are encouraging you to college. So it's it's not just pressure from your parents, but from society in general. And I'm not... Uh, in this conversation, I'm not saying that the cost of schooling is warranted, you know, or that like mm-hmm, people should yeah. be forced to have to pay that amount of money in order to to become a uh, a part of society that can actually like live. Um, so that that is, I don't feel like I have enough information to like have a very <laughs> like appropriate response, but. It feels disproportionate, um, the amount of money that education is, um, and it definitely seems like it's swung towards supporting the privileged and not setting people up for success um, unless you have the money or the resources. Um, And I absolutely agree with you. Like, I don't necessarily think back when I was going to school, like it wasn't it wasn't looked at as like necessarily a good thing for like, if you were going to a tech school, you kind of said it quietly, you know, it was like, Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm going to, whereas now majority of the young people that I am friends with, that's like very, very normal. And I guess in hindsight, I would say, yeah, I mean, if I could have gotten some of those initial credits taken care of, that would have been fucking awesome. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm still paying off debt and that would have been great to have that be an option. And it was, and, um, you know, from a perception standpoint, unfortunately that was not seen as like an okay thing, even though now we kind of know that it, like you learn this, the information and I don't know. How much better is, I don't know. Like, yes, you could probably argue that some teachers are better and everything. But, you know, I went to a giant school with a humongous classroom. And 
as an experiential learner, would I have gotten more from smaller classrooms where they were able to tailor some of the content specifically to me and giving me the chance to to learn it through my own experiences, I, I probably could have retained it a little bit better. So, but I guess it kind of depends on the person too. So, yeah, I always think with school too. Um, I I did not appreciate like have an appreciation for a lot of my classes. I did get exposed to things that I wouldn't have had exposure to. So there's an appreciation there, but where I felt like I got the most value from my education was the people I met the internship opportunities, the like organizations that I was a part of, which doesn't feel like that's what you're paying for in your tuition. But at the same time, I probably wouldn't have had the opportunity to have those experiences if it weren't for going to school and being a part of that community. So that's another way. And Courtney, I think you kind of touched on that too, that I always think about it when I'm like, okay, you spend all this money and even if that one class didn't feel like the amount of money you put in matched the value you got of the class, the people that you met and the experiences you had and the jobs that you had, that's actually where the value is from. So. Well, my master's degree is in higher education administration. So I feel up. like it, it feels funny to kind of play devil's advocate for... <laughs> For higher education, when my my graduate education was focused solely on working with students at universities to ensure that they have a really positive <laughs> experience, um, <laughs> but no, I absolutely still see the the benefits. It's just sitting here at thirty four years old, still paying for something from two thousand three yeah. to two thousand nine. It's like God, what other things have I paid for for that long? But um, getting back into the debt side of this, I guess that's kind of so. I just paid off my last payment Yay. of my student loan Which last Friday. Crazy. So you did that so fast. <laughs> I know. Like, I want to hear how you did it so fast. <laughs> yeah. So, oh man, when I, I feel like when I'm given a plan, when I feel like I see something that's very logical that I feel like is really doable and I've seen that other people have made it work, that's when I can actually really grasp my head around it and be like, oh, I can do that too. That That's, that's pretty simple. So, I'm not sure how familiar familiar you are with Dave Ramsey. Are you, do either of you know Dave Ramsey? Yeah. Uh-huh. I don't think I Okay, do. so politically and socially, he and I probably don't share a lot in common, but I'm not going to him for his political views. I'm just going to him for his financial advice. So he's been giving financial advice on the radio for over 30 years, and he's got these baby steps um, and there's seven of them and it's basically, it gives you just a really easy to work plan where you start at baby step one, you work your way to seven. And one is just really simple. Do whatever you can in a month to make a thousand, to be able to put a thousand dollars in your savings account as your emergency fund. So at the time when I was deciding that I wanted to do the Dave Ramsey thing, I started listening to his podcast every day at work. Um, he's got like a three hour episode every single day so I kind of really just went for it and was listening to him I don't know over three hours a day when I was running when I was working and at that time I had $18,000 in my savings account and I was I felt like it was really stupid because I had $18,000 in my savings account and I had $21,000 of student loan debt and it was just every day I'd log into my credit union page and I'd see what I had in savings and then below it would be my student loan debt. 
And I was like, it's so close. Why don't you just put that all towards your student loan? Like, why are you going to sit here until 2025 when this thing is finally going to be paid off with minimum payments when you just have it sitting here and you're not making any progress? Like, this money is not actually yours. What are you going to do with it? You, you're not going to want to spend it because then... <laughs> Then you at least had $18,000, and now if you go to Europe, now you only have 17000 Why wouldn't you just freaking put it towards your student loan? So I just decided after I got my $1,000, which I already had because I had 18000 so I just put the 1000 in my little emergency fund. And then uh, I read a book by Mel Robbins. It's called The Five-Second Rule. It's the cheesiest book you'll ever read. The concept could be – the book probably could – be a short paragraph and it does not need to be an entire paragraph or entire book. But the concept is that you count down five, four, three, two, one, and then you have to move. You have to do the behavior that you want to do. There's something in your brain that flips once you count down five, four, three, two, one and move that you're more likely to get that action done, that behavior performed, that habit formed. So I've been thinking a lot lately when I'm scared to do something. I know it sounds so cheesy and she's got a whole book on it and she's the number one most listened to female public speaker in professional development world. So I know she's onto something and she's got a lot of research behind it, but it really is just as simple as when you don't want to do something or when you want to do something, but you're too scared, it's literally just counting down five, four, three, two, one and like taking a physical step, getting out of bed to go work out. And after weeks of looking at my student loan and my savings account, I just was like, five, four, three, two, one. I'm just going to do this. So I put everything but $1,000 towards my student loan. And then for two months, I did whatever I could to make the last couple of thousand. Um, I sold everything that basically was in my closet, sitting around collecting dust. I made $1,800 on Poshmark selling my old indoor cycling gear. Um, I, what else did I do? I have, I'm now a dog walker. I dog walk every day and I make $15 to take the dog out on a you know, walk around the block. Um, pretty much anything. I did cat, I did cat sitting. I just cared for a dog for the last four days and made 250 bucks from that. Um, anything to make a little bit of extra money. And then I've been just frugal is shit. I haven't been eating out. I've hardly been buying anything. If I have to question myself twice of why I'm buying something, if it's just because I want to feel good or if I'm bored, I'm not going to buy it. Um, I went through my entire budget line per line, trying to minimize my cell phone bill, my car insurance, my apartment, like everything that I possibly could lower, I lowered. Um, and yeah, paid off tw over 20K in three months. And that happened from five, four, three, two, one. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast actually happened because of five, four, three, two, one. After you oh asked me gosh. and asked me, I was like, to be honest, I thought I have nothing of value to contribute to a conversation to this podcast. I'm probably not going to say anything very clearly. Like, why would they even want to talk to me? And I just had doubts upon doubts upon doubts. And the anticipation, as we all know, is worse than actually just doing something. So I decided the anticipation leading up to it is going to be really bad. But when we're doing it, it's just going to be fine. I'm just talking to two of my favorite people. So 
54321, and I and then I texted or emailed you, and I was like, sure, let's do it. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. It's amazing. I always talk about, like, what's um, one the one-minute version or um, – Sarah Phillip, who we had in season one, she calls it the 1% version. So it's like the thing that it just feels too big to take on that you're just like, I should do this, but I just like, um, what's the one minute version of it or what's the 1% version? Um, and usually once you get started, it's kind of a similar concept, but the five, four, three, two, one, um, has a bit of like, uh, like cheer, to it it's like yeah I know I like, like that oh, kind of blast off, you know did you just say blast off <laughs> she sure did because that is exactly how Mel Robbins describes it in her That's TED so talk and her books that's how she changed her life she thought five four three two one blast off I mean I that is <laughs> it's That's true funny. though you just have to start like you have to just do it sometimes too we like to just think and then we make excuses and just Sometimes it's like the close your eyes leap and it, you might not land perfectly or you might totally fall, but you've leaped and then it's a little bit less scary the next time you do it or you know a little bit more than you did. I mean, that's this whole podcast for Mm -hmm. us. It's like us just being like, let's just fucking do it. Let's just fucking do it. Let's just fucking do it. We're going to fucking doing it. We're doing it. We're doing it now. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. So (laughs) every time. And I'm like, yeah. Maybe that doesn't yeah. work. Maybe that's stupid, but it doesn't actually matter. Because well, we're I doing it. About, we out here. Yeah. And what I love about what you're saying, Court, is like, it's not necessarily that paying off your debt and being 100% debt free is like the only way. It's one way and it's very possible. And that's why I wanted you to come on here and talk because it is possible and you can do it and you can do it fast. And like you didn't just willy nilly decide to do this. Like you, there was a lot of thought that went into it, even though it might not have felt like that. Similarly to how me, you know, choosing to go to college, like didn't really feel like there was a lot of thought, but there actually, now that I look back on it, like there was a lot of pre, there was a lot of thought that went into that, whether that was through conversations with my parents or whatnot. And so you got to a place where you kind of had sussed out, like, there were options. There were other options for you. You know, you could have decided to pay off in shorter increments and then um, whatever, like saved up the full amount, paid off only half of the amount you'd saved and put the rest into, you know, some sort of account that was going to garner you more money. Like there are lots of ways to think about this. And what I love is the invitation to find your way that feels good to you. Because at the end of the day, yes, you can like, put all these things on paper and you can say it really ultimately depends on what your goal is. And for you, financial freedom from debt was crushing your everything. It was crushing. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that was more important to have paid off than um, to have removed, to have that freedom exist for yourself than to be trying to figure out, you know, let's pay off part of it and put other money towards something that can grow. Like that's not, that wasn't the place you were in. And it's, it, I'll liken it on the flip side to like eating. Um, because for me and Janelle and I talk about this quite a bit, it's like, 
when we first started doing this, we were talking about healthy eating. And a lot of times it can be like, I'm going to restrict and just eat these things so I can live to like whatever age. And for me, I get to a point sometimes when I'm restricting that I'm so stressed out about it that it's actually detrimental mentally and emotionally than if I just let myself have the fucking donut or whatever it is, the fucking have the ice cream, you know? And, um, and so I think just being able to find your way through the way that works for you, the way that, um, you know, the solution and the goal that you're trying to reach and giving yourself the space to, to figure out how you want to get there, because there are lots of, uh, lots of ways of doing it. There is no one right or wrong way. There's different ways with different outcomes. Um, there's different paths, um, that allow for success in different ways, which I think I just said the same thing like 16 times, (laughs) whatever. I made the point. (laughs) You summarized that perfectly. That's exactly where I was. I was kind of just Dave Ramsey, I always, I quote, find myself quoting him now more than I ever would like to, but I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. (laughs) And honestly, I just had so many other goals that I wanted to focus on, which is ultimately what I felt like I needed to do this to kickstart everything else. And that maybe, I mean, I know that that's not reality because for the last decade I've been paying on my loans and I've been setting goals and working towards things, but I just felt like it was such a roadblock in the way of everything else that I wanted to get done. And one of my biggest goals is having the financial ability every year to be able to, you know, take at least one big international trip a year and a couple smaller or national trips. And just having that balance sitting there every time I logged in just felt like it was like such a clear black mark on my ability to really do anything that I wanted to do. I just didn't feel like I was in control of my money. I didn't feel like I was in control of my future. I didn't feel like I was really in control, which is a terrible feeling. So I was like, you know what? I'm not going to be able to work on anything else until this money's gone, until this debt's gone. And so for me, that was like step number one. And now that that's out of the way, I just feel like, like game on, what else am I going to work on? Which is, which is an amazing feeling. Well, not to, yeah. And not to mention the steps that it took for you to get there, put into play practices that are going to allow you to know, like, shit, I can save a thousand dollars a month minimum Mm-hmm. to be able to go on the show probably before that you didn't realize that that was a possibility that probably seemed like a pipe dream and now you've proven to yourself that you can actually save up enough money like big chunks of money and that it is possible and honestly traveling doesn't have to be all that expensive and so internationally traveling once a year is absolutely possible and you've now set yourself up experientially knowing that you can actually save enough money to do that whenever you want. And that's pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. I, I can now, I, now that I'm strict on my budget, I can save $1,800 a month, yeah. which adds up really, really quickly. Really actually. Fast. Right. That's Instead cool. yeah. before, before I would just like have a little bit of money at the end of the month, instead of putting it towards my student loan, I would just buy new running shoes or, right. you know, like new headphones and just stuff I didn't need. So it just feels so much more gratifying to be like, I can actually go to Europe for two weeks instead of yeah. having six pairs of running shoes. <laughs> hey, well, and 
Oh, yeah. sorry, go ahead. Go, no, I'm, I was going to ask Courtney a question, so finish your thought. Oh, I was just going to say, um, in a different way, I feel like having left the corporate, or I'm not going to say the corporate world, but like having left a six-figure job um, where, where my worth was like totally tied up in title and um, money, the money I was making, um, I left and went to the hourly job at Spire Fitness and I was like, <laughs> convinced and everybody was like you're the, the, what how are you going to do this like i really didn't i didn't know and making less than i made my first job out of college i have eaten healthier i work out more i have more of a sense of community like so on the flip i have over the past as i'm you know kind of starting a new career path and um, building it from the ground up and I'm learning how to live truly the best I ever have, the healthiest I ever have with significantly less than I ever have. And I'm like, how did I, I mean, literally <laughs> I would be like, Oh my gosh, I don't have enough. I had six figures. Like it's crazy yeah. how you can just start to accumulate stuff. And now that I know how to live off of literally pennies <laughs> and live well, um, I'm excited as I start to grow my wealth back up um, to kind of maintain the lifestyle at this lower um, monetary level and just put that money towards towards travel, towards investments, towards whatever. Um, so it's a little bit different, but it's, it's crazy what we can convince ourselves we need and in order to be fulfilled. And I literally have been living just fine for the past several years. Like I said, making less than I've made per year than I made my first job out of college. And sometimes I think about that and I'm just like, it blows my mind. And I'm like, remember this, Rachel, because you don't need six figures in order to I mean, and I treat myself still, we go to Ragnar trips every single year. Like, mm -hmm. like I'm still doing all the things. And so mm -hmm. if not more, because I actually have some flexibility to actually do it. Um, so anyways, I, 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 I think it's cool to give ourselves the opportunity to not keep the golden handcuffs on because we're, we're afraid and to give ourselves the chance to loosen their grip a little bit and just, well, let's just see. Let's five, four, three, two, one this and see what happens. What's the worst thing that can happen? I go back to the way it was, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so. Courtney, what I was going to ask, um, and you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but I remember at a Ragnar, you had mentioned, like, I think it was when you were starting to kind of kick off this process a little bit more. And you talked about how you didn't think you were going to live past a certain age. So it also didn't bother you because of that. Are you willing to talk about that? <laughs> I mean, there's not a whole lot to it. I, uh, it's so strange. So I had four friends die in a semi accident when I was 16 years old. They got, um, yeah, they got hit by a semi and all died on impact and, then like a year before that, my grandpa died of brain cancer. And basically like in a span of a couple of years, I felt like everybody around me was dying. 
And I also have some psychic energies, which is something to include an hour and 20 minutes, 28 minutes into the podcast is that you have psychic energies, but eh, we all uh, do. You're going to just be more pronounced. <laughs> I have more pronounced psychic energies. Yes. And, um, yeah, I had a weird feeling the night that my friends died. And then I woke up that next morning to the call and I had already kind of anticipated it a little bit in my head, which was weird. Um, and then as time went on, a bunch of other weird stuff happened and it just formed this thought in my head that I just could not get out, that I was absolutely convinced I was going to die before I turned 30. And so I never put a single penny into my 401k because I thought there's really no point. I may as well spend the money now. And that probably to some extent had a reason to do with why I was so bad with money from 20 to 30. Cause I just didn't really see, um, I didn't see me living past 30. And then what do you know? I celebrated my 30th birthday in Tokyo, Japan, and, uh, am now 34 going on 35. So apparently my psychic energies are not more pronounced, uh, than most. In We're fact, glad they're not a- on this topic. <laughs> I think I think you actually may have told me that during your interview. See, I'm telling you. <laughs> and I was like, I need her on my team. <laughs> this girl's going to die soon. I better oh, see how she is oh, as an no. employee. Oh. <laughs> oh my and I was 30 at that point. I was already, I was, I was alive past 30. So I think that's why you brought it up. Probably. Yeah. yeah. I was like, God damn it. I'm still alive, Rachel. So I guess I've got to work. Yeah. You're like, I got to figure this out. What? Oh, what? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's funny. So now I'm not really sure that that, that energy and thought was so off. So I, uh, I don't know what to do with that now. You never know. Maybe you're headed for a path and you made one simple decision that moved you off that path. <sighs> or maybe. Oh, wait, maybe. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, you know how like when people change, it's like that part of me died so that this next part could emerge. Did that happen around 30? Part of me died so another could emerge. Hmm. Yeah. Did like an aspect of yourself die around that time? I'll have to dig into that actually a little bit later. (laughs) Report back. Yeah, Yeah. when when I come back for another episode, I'll see what comes of that. Yeah. Um, I know that you have talked a lot about your insatiable quest to find yourself um, and how that's kind of impacted your professional life, your professional path. Um, How have those two been inextricably linked? Wow. I can't believe it. Wow. Good word (laughs) choice. No, that came out of my ovaries. Insatiable and inextricably in the same sentence. (laughs) My ovaries, smart girl. (laughs) My ovaries. That's who came up with that question. (laughs) Wow. Um, So I was so thrown off by the incredible vocabulary that I'm not sure if I got the question, but I'm just gonna I'm just gonna talk. So, yeah, as you've mentioned, I've had 20 nine jobs, and of course, they're not all full time career jobs. Some of them included the fireside dinner theater and, uh, working as a token collector at a haunted house for a season. And what else have I done? I've done all sorts of random stuff. Um, 
but yeah, so ultimately I have kind of taken a bunch of different, different directions. As I mentioned, international studies was what I studied in college because I was just really fascinated by learning about other people and other cultures. And then I went to grad school for higher education administration. And then I went back to grad school again and got another degree in nonprofit management. And I kind of have realized that I have an addictive personality. And if I'm into something, I feel like I need to be all in. I need to be the most educated on it. I need to get the most experience. I can't kind of just like nonprofits and volunteer there every now and then. Like I need to create my own nonprofit and then go get a master's in nonprofit management and then work at a nonprofit the next year and then read every book about nonprofit finances and fundraising. Um, so that's kind of what has happened to me. I have these obsessions that I then follow into a career and then get so obsessive about them as a career only to find that they were more lucrative or alluring to me as, <laughs> as like an obsession and not a career that makes any sense. Like once you start putting higher expectations on something with regard to performance and management and colleagues and showing up at a certain time and space, I've just realized that that doesn't work for me. It no longer, it like turns actually into the opposite. I then want to stop doing it because there's all of a sudden too much, too much placed on it. It's too heavy for me. So I keep well, jumping and jumping. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is that addictions usually form as a distraction from one's life, right? Would, yeah. would you say? And totally. so to have an addictive personality and then having that apply to the job, there's probably aspects of those jobs that spoke to you, but becoming obsessed and addicted to it, then you lose yourself in it, which is interesting because it's like you're seeking through the profession to find who you are, but ultimately the addictive quality, the addictive way in which it's happening is taking you further away from yourself, potentially. And I'm just like talking and unpacking it with you. Um, <laughs> it's kind of fascinating. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that all of my worst qualities, like in every job that I've quit recently, I can think about how much I loved them, but ultimately my worst qualities got in the way. Like I will work until, I mean, I just, I can't give up. Like I can't let up. So for example, when I was running the indoor cycling studio, which also just has kind of a natural tendency for people to have to work a lot of hours. So when you're a person who yeah. already likes to work a lot of hours and doesn't like to disappoint people and is obsessive, you know, and, and, and you're gonna be working 90 to 100, 90 to hundred hours a week. And so it was crazy because I'm like, I love everything about this. I love the people. I love indoor cycling. I'm learning so much about marketing and event planning. But holy shit, I'm doing this 100 hours a week. And no matter how much I'm enjoying this, I'm doing this 100 hours a week. And then you just do it so much that you burn yourself out faster than you ever think. Even though you think in the time that you're having a great time and you're learning so much. And then six months later, you're looking at your boss saying... I'm done, which is well, what yeah. I had to do. And if you're seeking you through your profession, it makes sense that you would give everything you've got to it because if that's what you believe the path to yourself is, 
of course, I mean, if I, if that was a path to figure me out, I would want to dedicate all my time to it too. But ultimately what you're doing is dedicating to something outside of yourself, which is why you then are like done ultimately because it's taking you away from you. So it is exactly. interesting. Yeah, it uh, is interesting exactly. now that you're at this biotech job, which, you know, I know we've talked about it not necessarily being like your heart's work, but in you giving yourself the space to allow a job to just be a job and not a reflection of who you are or a quest to yourself, how that's giving you the space to actually find yourself outside of that arena, which is within versus seeking outside of yourself. Oh, that was beautiful. Yes, 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 yes. Well, I mean, there's just so much to unpack with careers in general. And I feel like, and I think I saw it on one of your Instagram posts or something like that, that you all were talking maybe about work. And one of the first questions that people ask you, well, first of all, when you're a kid, people ask what you want to be when you grow up. And then when you meet somebody, the second question after what is your name is what is your profession? So we place a lot of, a lot of weight on work and we all think that we need this career, the elusive career. And we've been taught things like your vocation should feel like a vacation and, you know, which God, um, and you know, you'll never work a day in your life. If what is that stupid phrase? You'll never work a day in your life. Yes. I know. It's terrible. Right. Like we've been taught to think that, yeah. yeah, that once you find the perfect job for you, it's not actually going to be work. It's just going to be so fulfilling and perfect for you that you won't even know if you're like at home with your family or if you're at the office, cause it's just all going to be so good. Um, <laughs> and I kind of fell into that whole, like trying to f- work into your strengths and find a job that fits perfectly with, um, with your, your, your values and yeah, your strengths and who you want to be and who you are and who you can grow into. Like we create, we create eight hours of manual labor into be into like this idea <laughs> that is just not possible. And that is why I now work in biotech doing an admin job that honestly I'm good at, but I don't come home and think about it. And I, and it doesn't weigh heavily on my mind, which is exactly what I needed after a job like running the indoor cycling studio that was like, <laughs> t- took up every single second of every space of brain power that I had. But I think I've really finally, after 30 jobs, gotten to a space where I don't need to, I don't need to find myself in work. Like I can find little bits and pieces that make me feel good and feel like I'm contributing to a larger mission. But at the end of the day, I feel like my hours outside of work are really where I'm kind of digging into my me stuff right now. And I never thought that I would say that. Like I never thought I'd be the person who is like, it sure feels good to get a paycheck and just have a nine to five job without working weekends. But I've had so many of the other experiences that I just feel okay now with saying, I love not working on Saturdays and Sundays. I love not working weekends and nights. Um, I love not going home and feeling anxious and stressed about interactions with colleagues or projects. Like I like having mental space freed for other things. And I never thought I would say that. Yeah. And as much as like, obviously having the paycheck helps from a stability standpoint, but what I'm also hearing you say is that for the first time in a long time, you 
actually have space to be with yourself. And like, that is golden. Like that's priceless. Oh, that's <laughs> going to be the quote of the day, the quote of the <laughs> podcast. I like that. Yeah. There's an interesting video. Um, I can't remember the guy's name, but I'll put it in the show notes. Um, and it's a video on how dissatisfied we actually are because of our current society's pursuit of um, happiness and purpose. And, you know, we're raised to believe that there's a soulmate out there and the perfect job and we just have to find these things and um, that it actually is making us suffer because um, we're just constantly on this hamster wheel of trying to seek these idealistic spaces versus finding the joy and the comfort in experiencing life that is. Um, it's really interesting because, I mean, even like from a psychological standpoint, like they moved into positive psychology and it's like, how do we turn this into like anything that's negative, anything that isn't, you know, your dream life is shit and nobody's saying that, but they're saying it as a result of like making positivity and happiness um, hierarchically better than sadness and, and frustration and monotony and boredom. And now all of a sudden we're seeking to only be part human, which is not sustainable or real. And anytime there is a shimmer of anything that isn't those things, we think there's something wrong with us and we're fucked up and we're doing something wrong. And, um, so it's going to, I think it's going to be interesting to see how, um, you know, the next generations take, um, take where and, and us, where we take it from here, because I think we, there's a lot more to the coin than just, um, trying to positive psychology, psychology, positive, you know what I'm trying to say? Like positive our way through everything. Like that's not really the point of being a human. The point of being a human is to recognize that we're all of it and to find, you know, whatever acceptance, humility, um, in all of it, um, the ability to be in all of it and to connect with the fact that that is who we are. Um, so I don't know, it's, we talked last week, um, well, it's not going to be last week on our, <laughs> we have talked, Janelle and I have, yeah, <laughs> Janelle and I have talked about that from a standpoint of, um, like Disney movies that existed that, or like, you know, rom-coms that existed with us growing up about what relationships look like and the standards of like, you can just be this like nerdy girl. And then the hot guy looks at you. And even if you're like, a little, 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 and he's like, <laughs> sees your potential and sees you through the crowd and how it sets up this like vision for yourself that is just like I mean maybe that happens to some people but for most people it does not happen um and and like how can those things not be poo-pooed like cool fantasy and let's be real and um and so I'm excited to be a part of like the other side of the coin having some airtime too, not at the expense of the happiness. Cause that's, that's a part of it too. Um, but I think we've overemphasized it at the expense of the full human experience. Oh, I've been thinking all of that in my head for, I don't know, years. 
and have never come to such a beautiful summary and like, yeah, just clear. Cause I'll, in my head, I just think like, this is bullshit. This is bullshit. This whole happiness. <laughs> like we're so, we're so complex. We're such complex people and beings. And yet for some reason we're trying to minimize and dumb ourselves down to like constantly just seeking at the end of the day, like, well, am I happy? Yeah. And I, and I haven't gotten past that yet. I just keep thinking like what, what happened in our last few decades where all of a sudden happiness is the main emotion that we're all striving for because I've had conversations with friends like what are you really mulling over you know what do you need more of in your life right now and they're like you know I'm happy I just I feel happy and I just want to keep feeling happy and I'm like but let's get past the happiness like that's happiness should be fleeting just along with all the other emotions so why are we trying to keep this one around for so long and I feel like I'm gonna have to listen to what you said again because that was uh, that was great. Thank you. Yeah, and I I mean I've been wrestling with this stuff too. I mean maybe not. My I have an insatiable curiosity and quest to find my, who I am too. And um, my my experience has been that you know when I was sick everybody just wanted me to find the silver lining in it because it made them more comfortable. And I was forced into a smile a majority of the time because I, I knew, well, I, it's not like it was necessarily the most like thought out thing. It's just when I was courageous and brave and smiling and telling my, you know, a powerful version of my story, which was, you know, I showed up and I, you know, was able to be there for the other kids or, you know, people wanted me to be positive because I, of the type of cancer that I had or the, the fact that I survived, you know, I, I was denying myself a whole slew of the reality of my experience. I actually couldn't experience true happiness because I wasn't able to honor the fear and the pain and the real shittiness that existed. And like, nobody could be in that space with me. And so I just found this half-assed version of happiness. And then I got stuck in this like numbed out center. And until I could allow myself to, to, to feel the pain and to acknowledge that it was okay for me to be upset and cry really ugly, shaky tears and scream and, and, and throw shit and like, be like, this fucking sucks. Um, then on the other side of that, I, I, I had an emotional release. Energy was able to move through me. And then I could finally smell the air for the first time. I could hear a bird. And then I was like, oh, there's beauty. And, and now I, I find it very, very important, um, for me to always honor whatever emotional state or place that somebody's in, because for me, I could never experience what I wanted to experience until I could allow myself to experience what I didn't want to experience. Um, and then from there, and, and nobody wants you to experience the stuff you don't want to, because it's painful and it's hard to watch people in pain. But the only way for me to experience that happy stuff truly was to be able to experience the the uncomfortable stuff. And now I, now when I'm in like a tough spot, I know 
this is a cycle and this is an infinity symbol. That's what it was for me anyways. And right now I'm experiencing the crisscross and, and so allow yourself to be here. Cause if you don't, you're actually going to be stuck here a whole hell of a lot longer. <laughs> so mm-hmm. appreciate being in the crisscross right now and like honor it. Um, and then I usually it could flow around, um, a little bit more quickly. So, um, yeah, it's important. I'm, I, it's important. Oh, I am feeling very wise. My ovaries really are. <laughs> I'm, good job, ladies. So, uh, yeah. Kudos so I, have to a, I, know that, I know that we probably have to close up here soon, but I just have a question for both of you. So, is that okay? Of course. No, just kidding. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, we didn't really get into it today, but we did talk about my insatiable quest and yours and all of our insatiable quests to be better. And so one of those things that I'm doing is trying to create more healthy morning and evening routines that involve things that I really enjoy that can help me be a better person. And, um, the, the the book that's kind of impacted me most is called the miracle morning. And it's got this series of things that you should try to do because in case you didn't know the first two to three hours after waking up are the best most productive hours for your brain. And lately I feel like I've been sleeping in too much to really take advantage of those first two to three hours, um, those early, early hours. So anyway, um, I've been reading a lot of this author, Hal Higdon, who wrote The Miracle Morning. And in that book, he talks about having a level 10 life. And He goes on to say that when you think about your level 10 life, it means that you're trying to reach your highest level of satisfaction in 10 different areas. And so he's got a list of 10 different areas of life, including spiritual growth, personal development, self-care, relationships, family and friends, um, spirituality, fun and recreation, career, finances, et cetera. There's 10 of them. And so... I did this little activity tonight where I had to rate myself on a scale of one to 10 in all of those categories and where I truly think I am right now, um, with regard to satisfaction and most, I got, I gave myself mostly fours and fives, but then as I was doing it, I was kind of questioning the whole activity to begin with, because then I thought, can you ever be a 10 out of 10 in all areas at once? Or would you ever want to be a 10 out of 10? Like, is that the goal? And so I'm kind of curious, do you two think that you can have a level 10 life where every category of your life is a uh, self-assessed 10 out of 10? Deep. I'll let you answer first, Chanel. <laughs> I, have, I have a response, but I'll let okay. you go. Um, my, my gut response is no. But I also think it's perspective, too, um, and how you define what a 10 is. I think in life there's always that tug of war where your attention is going to be drawn towards certain things more than others. And if you spread yourself thin, I mean, in a way kind of thin, like you, you're naturally just not going to be able to be a 10 in this area um, if you're really focusing on another area so I, I would say n- no but again it's perspective and defining it but I personally 
think there have been very few times that I would say I've been a... I, well, I can't think of any. <laughs> that I would say I've had a 10 out of 10 in all of those areas. So I don't know. Maybe I'm just not there yet. Maybe when you die, maybe that's when you're a 10 out of 10. <laughs> you finally get a handle on your finances when you're dead. Awesome. I mean, they don't matter anymore. So yeah, 10 out of 10. Oh, I guess. <laughs> I guess. Good point. <laughs> all right, Rachel, what's your, what's your answer? Well, I'm going to see if I can articulate it. So my 10 out of 10 would not be filling out every pie slice as a 10. The 10 out of 10 would be me being able to fill out the pie wherever it is and being okay with it. Like that to me is a 10 out of 10 is being able to take life as it is and work with it. And so trying to get every single slice at a 10 feels like kind of what I was saying earlier. It feels like I'm forcing myself to be uh, at like, you know, octane level 100 at all times. And that doesn't feel real to me. And so I would define 10 out of 10 for me as being able to fill out that pie every day or however often I did and, and learning how to be okay and like good. I mean, it's so hard. All of our words are very, um, uh, uh, you know, good or bad up or down. Um, and so I don't mean it that way, but to be okay, to be good with it, wherever it is like that to me, I think, um, would be the achievement of a 10 out of 10. Does that make sense? Yes, that absolutely makes sense, which is kind of where I was where I was leaning when I was doing it as well, because I gave hardest one for me that I filled out last was relationship, just because I find that hard to judge on a one to 10 scale anyway. Um, but I gave it kind of a lower score, but I was sort of okay with it because I feel like the other areas I feel really good about and I'm content where, with where we're at today, even if that number is low in comparison to the other numbers. Um, but yeah, like just feeling good with it and yeah. knowing that it probably could improve, but today I'm, I'm, I'm good with where we're at. Well, and there's something that I learned through my code certification, Thrive Human um, Development. I will link it in the show notes if anyone wants to do any of their courses. It's amazing. Um, and they talk about there's no there there. And so anything that is trying to get you to some magical endpoint of like, you've gotten there, <laughs> like yeah. that's not, that's not real. And that's just setting you up for, uh, for failure. And so, um, it's, they say, and there's more. So it's like, yes, you can desire these things and work for it. And there's more. So it's like getting to that thing doesn't mean that you've automatically made it. It's just a thing that you have accomplished and, and there's more. And I always liked that sentiment because there's always new aspects for us to learn and grow through. And even the things that we feel like, oh man, I did this already. There's always a new aspect to learn. I mean, even what I was saying at the beginning of this, where like, man, I would have said that I had my point of view in terms of my education and my parents' role in it and my role in it. And 
here I am not expecting that on the December full moon of 2019, having Shark Week, that I was going to have an absolutely profound shift in perspective. Um, like, you just don't know what's coming. And there's always a new sliver of difference that you can experience. Um, yeah, so I went down another rabbit hole. And yeah, that's my perspective on it. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for asking the question though because I yeah. feel like it is it's super easy I mean that's the self-help world right it's like yeah. here's your 10 steps and I think I have a really hard time with social media and seeing people try to sell that idea and and a hard time as a coach a lot of people come to me wanting the 10 steps and the silver bullet and give me the pill and um that's not how it works. <laughs> and then I think there's a lot of frustration and I think there's, um, a confusion around, um, you know, what are you, what, what am I paying for? Um, and I, that's just, there's a lot of that stuff out there and I just, I haven't found any of it to be sustainable. And so I think aspects of it are absolutely worthwhile. And I'm not saying don't try any of it. Absolutely try all the things that you're inspired to try and then use your own discernment and figure out your own combination based on the day. Um, I too play with morning ritual. I call them rituals because um, habits and routine makes me want to throw up because um, I have a very <laughs> strong rebel instinct. And so I call them rituals because that just sounds more ceremonial to me. And um what my ritual is, is just giving myself the invitation each morning to, Hey, if you had 15 minutes right now, what would you do for yourself? Um, do you want that 15 minutes or would you prefer to just move on with your day? And so even just that invitation. And then if I do want the 15 minutes asking myself, what do you need? Um, and then some days it's meditation. Some days it's a walk. Some days it's watercoloring. Some days it's Marco Polo and Janelle, you know, like it's, it just giving myself the the flexibility to meet myself where I am versus having to have it be some perfect formula uh, works for me. Um, and it took many, many years of following a protocol, trying to find my own silver pill or silver bullet and my own, you know, pill and 10 steps because that's what I wanted <laughs> and um ultimately recognizing that I needed to five four three two one blast off in my own way um for myself not in somebody else's way so well I think that I, I hear that a lot we have to meet people where they're at I've got to meet myself where I'm at and I feel like that was my problem is that I was meeting myself where I was at and where I was at was not where I wanted to be and I was waking up late and rushing out of the apartment to get to work and then I was distracted at work and then and then I get home and I wouldn't want to work out and I would be like, well, I'm meeting myself where I'm at. I'm just, you know, I had kind of an off day. I woke up late and just don't feel like, don't feel like running today. It would just make, I just feel like sitting here and, and reading. And so for me, meeting myself where I'm at actually makes it feel like I'm not challenging myself where I'm kind of like giving in to, some of the cases I feel like I'm kind of giving in to 
No. Okay, I don't know how to I don't know how to finish that no, sentence. I think what you're saying makes sense though. I I find in whether it's the fitness industry or motivational speaking, there's there's sort of that those two sides. There's the you're meeting yourself where you're at, but you're almost using it as an excuse, maybe. And not I'm not you necessarily, but because you might be afraid to do something. Um, or you just kind of don't feel like it and there's something that's blocking you that you actually need to push past and then I think there's also the the other side of the spectrum sometimes where people are just like I have to get to that 10 I have to get to that 10 and they're not in the moment being happy or just even aware of where they're at now so I think I mean people shift back and forth I've been in both where you kind of have to just have the awareness of am I afraid of something? Am I making an excuse for myself? Or am I actually like burning myself out chasing something and not appreciating the present moment? Or I mean, maybe you're somewhere in the middle too, but I've, I definitely, I understand what you're saying, I think. Well, and go ahead. I was just going to say awareness is like the word that I keep coming back to self-awareness, self-awareness. Like I've read 65 personal development books this year and pretty much watched every YouTube video and I'll take little bits and pieces from everyone that I think could benefit my life in some way. But, um, I'm not, I mean, yeah, I'm not trying to find my silver bullet. I just think that I'm trying to become more self-aware. And even if that little pie chart seems like super hokey as I'm doing it and I know that whatever a 10 out of 10 seems kind of unrealistic, at least I'm starting somewhere and I'm kind of starting to put words and ideas around what areas of life I want to focus on and what areas maybe I've been kind of letting drop and which areas I really want to see like come to the forefront. So I think if anything, if anything makes you more aware and just more thoughtful about where you want to focus your energies and values, I think all the better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, you just articulated perfectly like I I think it's perfect because what you know that saying meet me where I'm at for you doesn't get you to a place that that gets you to where you want to go for me it does for me it does and that's and that's what I mean by saying there isn't a one-size-fits-all and so Mm -hmm. um you're absolutely right it's like the intention for you is to be able to move forward and you're finding your way through it. And, you know, if the pie chart works for you as a place to start, that's beautiful, you know, and like, and, and it might not be for everybody and it might be for, for a lot of people. And so, um, I I think you're just, I think you're just doing a great job because you are finding your own way through and you're giving yourself the chance to explore what works and, um, to leave what doesn't and to become more self-aware in the process and to become more aware of your intention in the process. And I think that's the point. So yes, the process, I think that's where I've been thinking about lately a lot is just the process instead of trying to be so results oriented. And at the end, this is how I'm going to feel. And this is how my life is going to look. It's just, I mean, they say it all the time. You learn so much more in the time of actually building up the ritual or the, what did, did you call it a ritual? I call it a ritual. A ritual, yes. Building up the ritual or habit or behavior, um, all of the grit and determination 
and all of those wonderful things that you build up as you're doing it is far more important than actually like eating the vegan salad at the end of the day. Like it's actually, cause that's one of my things that I'm working on right now is being dairy free. Um, but yeah, it's just all about the process. Yeah. And Janelle, you said it beautifully. It's like, it is a dance between sometimes, sometimes the extremes are easier for us to grasp and to like feel and that dance between the two until, I don't know, it's like almost like bumper bowling. Mm -hmm. If the lane started to get narrow at the end to the, to where there, it doesn't have to bump back and forth. And then you kind of find your groove. Um, But until you do, yeah. And until you do, and even once you do, you know, something else changes and then you're like, oh, okay, now I, <laughs> and then the now I have new to lanes. Go to diagonal. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But it is, it's that, it's that dance yeah. and, um, and that, that continued practice of like staying aware and, um, checking in with yourself. At least that's what's worked for me so far. I do not have all the answers. I am yeah. merely trying to f- figure out what it means to be human each minute at a time it's a good visual though we talk about that a lot too how I feel like I'm always chasing extremes and it it is because they're easier to find so you go from one extreme to the other extreme and then like hopefully you settle in the middle at some point but yeah Uh, what a good what a good conversation This is an awesome, yeah, I know, Courtney. Courtney, could you imagine if you deprived the world of this conversation? I know, seriously. My dad might listen, and I'll make Nick listen. So I know that we'll at least have two listeners tonight. Perfect. So. That's same with us. It'll be with our mom and dads too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if my parents Six listen people. to the podcast. My parents, my parents don't listen. <laughs> yeah, that's not either. Um, Courtney. If you were to describe how you're currently living your true north in this moment, what word would you use? Yeah, I wrote it down because I had a couple of things. Um, and this, I'm a quotes person and forgive me, but I read a book last week that I just loved. And she said, when you can read anything, you can learn everything. And I have just been on such a reading journey lately and just trying to suck up everything around me, any kind of content. And I really, truly feel like if you're willing to put in the effort to learn something that like you could do absolutely anything. And I've been kind of finding that out I haven't really exactly found my stride I don't think quite yet my perfect stride if that exists I haven't found my long-term flow but I think that the more I can learn the more I can read the more I can just ingest of people's experiences um, and lessons that uh, I can do anything okay say the quote again when you can read anything you can learn everything I like it. Right? Yeah. It reminds me, you've heard the quote of how you do anything is how you do everything. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. It like kind of, it reminds me of that and I like it. Yeah, I do too. I know then, which also makes me think of the other quote that I wrote down, how you spend your days is how you spend your life. 
Yeah. Because it's like, yeah. I gravitate on that one all the time. Like <laughs> yeah, because I was, yeah, because I was going to say how you experience, if you can experience anything, well, shoot, that doesn't work. I was trying to, instead of it just being reading, I was yeah. trying to liken it to just like, just showing up. Like sure. how, how you can show up to anything is how you can do live everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think you get what I'm saying. Because <laughs> I'm an experiential person. Sometimes I, sometimes words, I love the reading and the words. Sometimes there's just not words. No, I agree. Yeah, sometimes you just got to do it. Yeah. But yeah, how you spend your days is how you spend your life, which can be inspiring. And it also can be like extremely heartbreaking and debilitating because when I think about how I spend a lot of my days, I'm like, huh. Hey, Court, have you? No, I don't know. Have you heard of Tantra philosophy? Tantra philosophy? Ooh, go on. I mean, I only tertiarily know it, but um, tertiarily. it's the tertiarily. Yeah, isn't that it's like, like on the fringe on the edge? Yes. <laughs> my mom, my mom Primary, loves vocabulary, secondary, so it's rubbing. Oh my god, I hate both. Um, anyways, what I was trying to say is, um, the the idea is that. Uh, a lot of times people are like, I need to die or not. I need to die. I like enlightenment will happen once this experience in the physical world ceases to exist. Um, and Tantra and somebody who studies Tantra might possibly tell me that I'm an idiot, but how I heard it uh, described is that Tantra actually sees enlightenment through the every minute to minute experiences that we're having and our ability to, see them as enlightening. So you sitting at your desk each day and experiencing heartbreak is actually an enlightening experience because you're allowing yourself to experience an aspect of being human, if that makes any sense. So I just share it as something to consider. Um, Yeah. I mean, that ties in completely to our conversation about happiness and we can't be happy all the time. Yeah. And so... And while I would, I'm trying to find more uh, natural joy every day in my life, that is something that I actually am searching more for is joy than happiness. But yes, you're absolutely right. Like I'm not, I can't, that's just a period of my life where I'm not going to be quote unquote happy. Um, it's just going to be a time where I feel productive and useful and unfortunately, it's just going to have to take place in an office setting um, with uh, bright, you know, overhead lights over me. So it's yeah. fine. And yeah. just experiential and, learning. And again, no. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> and like, no need to be anywhere other than you are. It's just, it's an interesting concept because I, I play with that one. And then also, like, as long as it doesn't become me trying to intellectualize the experience and avoid actually just feeling what I'm feeling. So, Oh, what a fun game life is. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much, Court. If people want to get in touch with you for any reason, what would be the best way to do that? Well, as we mentioned earlier, my 
My alter ego is Scout LaCroix. She's the person who I think is off living exactly the life, my level 10 life all the time. <laughs> so you can follow LaCroix me on is. Instagram. <laughs> you can follow me uh, yeah, on Instagram, and that's probably the best place. I also have a new blog that I just published a couple months ago, maybe two months ago, called Tiny Steps. So if you were to search Tiny Steps, it's a Wix website. Um, and search my name. I'm sure it'll pop up, but basically it's just me writing about different 90 day adventures that I'm taking on about different habits I'm trying to build and different behaviors I'm trying out. I'm currently trying to learn Spanish. I'm trying out dairy free cooking, um, paying off my student loans was on that list. I just signed up for a marathon that I'm running in April. So I've been writing a lot about training for my very first marathon and a few other things. So if you have any interest in kind of learning about all the ways to to build up habits and behaviors and make better choices take a look at what I'm writing if you send me a link I'll include it in the show notes oh perfect I will do that yeah hit me up you're amazing free recipes girl (laughs) oh yeah because you do some dairy free don't you I'm pretty unless I want to hurt myself yeah (laughs) yeah I'm not to that level yet but yeah I feel torture now after like a plate of nachos so it's just not worth it exactly wow back to back to poop (laughs) it's always that's like my contribution to this podcast (laughs) it always comes back to the bachelor (laughs) well thanks y'all this is fun yeah yeah totally wait bachelor i thought there was a new one that you were that was better than the bachelor that you were into a new Shit, I can't remember. Bachelors in Paradise. Me talking about Gary V. That's it. <laughs> very different, <laughs> but yes, yeah. I did say that Gary V was going to be my replacement for The Bachelor until The Bachelor comes back on. It's so weird how much I'm like kind of brain dead, but then in so these nice. moments, I can have these moments of brilliance, and then I'm like, <laughs> I mean, talk about the contrast. I can't even like come up with mustard words of things and then I'm like (laughs) insatiable I mean my love for Gary Vee is probably less important in your brain space than the things that you provided (laughs) so it's all good alright well I love you both love you guys too I'll talk to you later okay bye y'all bye bye This has been another episode of the True North Collective podcast. For more from Rachel and I, check us out on the gram at the True North Collective underscore. And if you liked what you heard, please consider leaving us a review wherever you are listening to this podcast. Until next time.